Well, as you know, we have been in the book of Hebrews, uh, having just wrapped up chapter 6 last week. And there we encountered something significant uh, near the end of Hebrews 6. Something that is worth coming back to, especially on a communion Sunday. Uh, Last week, the writer of Hebrews reminded us of God's covenant with Abram, uh, all the way back in Genesis. And he did so because it's in the very promises that God made to Abraham that we, as Christians, find our hope. In the first Sunday of each month, when we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, we are reminded, again, each time we're reminded of this covenant of grace in a very tangible way, uh, a visual, tangible way here at the Lord's table. Uh, Because you see, it is here as we gather around this table, as we uh, participate as God's people in the Lord's Supper, we are participating in an act of covenant renewal. And so this morning, we're going to go back again into Genesis, uh, back into Genesis 15, uh, where God established this covenant with Abram. And in this passage, as we prepare to come uh, to this table, uh, we're going to see something central to our salvation, something essential to the gospel. And through it, We can receive through it. We can receive in the words of the writer of Hebrews. uh, We can receive strong encouragement as those who have fled to Jesus for refuge. So, again, our passage uh, this morning is Genesis chapter 15, uh, God's covenant with Abram. So let's take a moment to pray and then we'll hear this part of God's word. Lord God, we do thank you for speaking to us through your word. And we ask now that once again, by the power of your spirit, that you would open us to your word and your word to us. And that you would convince our hearts more and more of the truth and grace of your gospel. For it's in Jesus we come. And in Jesus we pray. Amen. So now I invite you to hear the word of God. Genesis chapter 15. We'll begin with verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought Abram outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall be your offspring. And Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. And God said to Abram, 
I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought him all these animals, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. This is God's word. Well, no doubt this is definitely a bizarre scene. Uh, Not something that we think about or read about every day. But it is also a beautiful scene. Uh, One that is beautiful and weighty and hopeful. It says, verse 18, that God made a covenant with Abram. And so here we encounter again that word covenant. Well, what, what is a covenant? A covenant is a, a solemn binding agreement between two parties. A solemn binding agreement between two parties joining them together. And so you might think about it like this. You've witnessed covenants before. Think about when a couple gets married. It's a covenant. It's something glorious and weighty, adjoining them together. Now, I remember a weighty scene in in my own life. It was uh, June 1995, and I was at the wedding of a childhood friend. Now, I had been to a lot of weddings uh, growing up, and I was looking forward to going and seeing a friend of mine get married. But as I was in the midst of this wedding ceremony, it hit me in a way that it never had. It it felt especially weighty this particular day. And why? Well, because of something that had happened just a few weeks earlier. You see, the month before, I had asked Heather to marry me. And so now, for the first time, I was experiencing a wedding not only as a guest, but also as one engaged to be married. And I remember as I watched this couple uh, stand up front, as I listened to the words that they spoke to one another, as I listened to the words that were proclaimed over them, I felt the weight of it all in a way that I had never felt before. And And I remember I began to wonder, can anyone really do this? And, and, and can I, can I really do this? Now, of, of course, as a, as a pastor, I've had the, the opportunity and the privilege of officiating a lot of weddings. Uh, many of them have been right up here on this platform uh, with a man and a woman uh, becoming husband and wife standing right here where this pulpit is today. And they're always uh, beautiful and glorious occasions. 
and also ones that are very weighty. I think of that moment when the couple exchanges uh, rings, vows, when they are exchanging these symbols and, and these words of a determined choice to honor and to love and to serve one another, forsaking all others and being faithful to the other as long as they both shall live. The covenant of marriage, the covenant that's often sealed with these words, with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, a covenant is both glorious and also weighty. Well, here in Genesis 15, we encounter something even more glorious and weighty. But Before we take a look at it, we need to back up just a bit for just a moment. Because we're reminded uh, in Genesis 12, and I I highlighted this last week, uh, but reminded in, in Genesis 12 that God had promised to bless Abram promised to bless him later to be called Abraham. So forgive me if I go back and forth between Abram and Abraham, same guy. But in Genesis 12, God had declared, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And all nations on earth will be blessed through you. Now, at this point, Abram was already 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, just uh, 10 years uh, younger than he was. And they still had no children. And then here in Genesis 15, it's now several years later, and Abram is probably about 85 years old, still childless. And yet this is when God chooses to make his covenant with Abram. And as we read, First, God reaffirms his promise, his promise that Abram will have a son. And then God takes him outside and tells him to look up. A dark night. Look up. Can you count the stars, Abram? I want you to try to number them. Can't do it, can you? So shall be your offspring. Then next, God tells him to bring him some animals. A young cow, a female goat, a ram, a dove, and a young pigeon. And so Abram collects the animals as instructed by God. And then, with God saying nothing more, Abram cuts the animals in half, placing each half opposite the other. So really forming an aisle between these cut pieces of animals. Just like we have a center aisle right here in our worship area. And did you notice that Abram did this without any further instruction from God? Why? Why would he do that? Well, it's because Abram knew what was going on. I mean, at first read, we don't, but Abram knew. And what was going on? Well, God was initiating a covenant with him, a solemn binding agreement with their relationship at its center. Well, of course, today in the 21st century, uh, we're not used to things like that. I mean, we live in a a written uh, record-keeping culture, Uh, data upon data, just huge amounts of, of data stored electronically. But the ancient Near East wasn't like this. It was an oral 
visual culture, a storytelling culture. And in this act, in this very act, there is a story that is unfolding. A beautiful and weighty story. So after Abram has cut and arranged the animal pieces, it says, verse 18, it says that on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. He made a covenant. And literally the word is cut. Cut a covenant. The Lord cut a covenant with Abram. And literally that is what happened when these animals that were used to make the covenant, when they were cut in two. So what do we see in this? Well, in, in, this, in this graphic scene, what we are seeing is an expression of, of relational commitment, exclusivity, fidelity. And of course, we can also feel the weight of it. We feel the weight of it because what we are also seeing is a dramatization of the consequences for breaking that covenant. If one of the parties is not faithful to the other, we see a picture of the penalty for breaking the covenant. In other words, if you do not keep this covenant, may you become like these slaughtered animals that have been cut in two. Now, there are two stunning occurrences in in the cutting of this particular covenant. Okay, first, rarely, if ever, did a king pass through the animal pieces. But here, God himself, appearing as billowing smoke and a blazing torch, God himself passes through the pieces. And second, a king's subjects that the lesser party always passed through the pieces. But here, Abram does not. Because God does not let him. And so do you see what is happening? What is happening here is that God is taking this covenant oath for both of them. In other words, God says, if I fail, then I pay the penalty. And also, if you fail, then I will pay the penalty. God is saying, no matter what, I give you my word, my promise that I will bless you. I will bless you even if I have to be cut open and torn apart, even if I must spill my own blood. I will bless you no matter what. And friends, we're talking about grace. We're talking about grace. God taking upon himself what we deserve and giving us what we don't deserve. God giving us life when what we deserve because of our sin is death. And you know, it is this very same grace that is seen so clearly centuries later when God made him, Jesus, When God made him who had no sin to be sin for us on the cross so that in him we might be blessed, that we might become the righteousness of God through faith. And it's the grace of our Lord Jesus that is poured out through this covenant. 
This covenant of grace that God cut with Abram is a beautiful, powerful, graphic expression, not only of the consequences of covenant breaking, but also of God's commitment to us. His commitment to forgive us, to restore us, and to make us who He created us to be. This is the gospel. And everything in the Christian life flows from this glorious and weighty covenant. Because everything in the Christian life flows from grace. Well, earlier I shared with you about a wedding that I attended shortly after getting engaged. Feeling the weight of it and that question of, can anybody really do this? Can, can I do this? Well, the answer came loud and clear at a friend's wedding. Uh, several months later, uh, shortly after Heather and I had been married. And it was the, the night before uh, the wedding of these two friends. I was at the rehearsal dinner and after a series of toasts, it was time for the father of the bride to give one. And after a few preliminary comments, he turned and he looked at this young couple. He looked at his daughter and he looked at the young man who was about to marry her. And I will never forget. This is what he said. Tomorrow you will make a covenant with one another. You will make a covenant with each other before God and his people. You'll take vows and make promises that you cannot keep except by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Except by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, that's what we need. And that's what we have. Because just like Abram, this grace is ours through faith in Christ alone. Well, in just a moment, uh, we get to participate. As I said at the beginning, we get to participate in, in an act of covenant renewal as we share together in the Lord's Supper. Uh, we'll get to taste and see uh, God's grace to us as we witness the gospel story of this covenant unfold. Again, in a very visual, tangible way before us in this sacrament. And one of the things that happens at this table is our capacity to understand God's grace to us increases all the more because our understanding of what it costs God to be gracious increases. And what did it cost him? It cost him everything. And why? Why did he do it? Well, what does the writer of Hebrews say? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He did it for you. He did it for me. So that we, as broken, sinful people in a broken world, that we might know true life and true joy, that we might taste in part now and be assured that one day we will taste in full. 
And so, brothers and sisters, as we come to this table, this table which is a gift, a gift that Jesus has given to his church, to those who have looked to him for the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. As we now come to this table, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen.